Welcome to you all. Uh, most of you are probably part of the church here, but maybe some of you here tonight are not part of the church. You may be from another church locally, or you might have been invited by a friend or a family member to be here tonight. So a big welcome to all of you uh, tonight. Now, this evening uh, is a really practical finance seminar that Jeff Letts is going to be bringing. And Jeff uh, is on the Hillsong Church Board uh, for the UK, uh, runs uh, his own financial services, Genistar. Uh, but his, his heart for us tonight is to help to bring some really practical teaching and advice to do with our finances and our own personal life. Now, we had Jeff here a few weeks ago speaking on a Sunday uh, on sort of biblical economics and biblical finances, which uh, is essential isn't it, in the day that we're living in. A lot of people are living in debt or living on debt. And certainly as the church, as Christians, we want to not be living on debt. We want to be living in abundance uh, because we want to be a blessing to one another, to the church we're part of, but also to the community and beyond that we are, we're part of. So Jeff brought a brilliant word uh, on that Sunday morning and if you want to listen to that, if you haven't heard that uh, already, you can go on the Kingdom Faith website and you can go on the uh, watch and listen pages and just find his name there and you can listen to that if you haven't heard that already. And then last Saturday, Jeff was with us here doing a, a Kingdom Builders uh, event morning with people that are in business uh, or entrepreneurial kind of people and really giving some Again, real practical advice from a kingdom perspective about how to be in business uh, from a kingdom point of view and what that that looks like. So tonight we're going to be looking at really practical things from a personal point of view in our own lives. And before Jeff comes up, before we welcome him, uh, we just want to show you a quick video that kind of a synopsis of his his kind of own story up to this point. From the outside, we would have looked like a well-to-do, happy family, and then I'd say within a year from that time, I remember uh, kind of our lives falling apart. Well, my, my father lost, uh, lost his business, um, lost his home, lost everything, and uh, that's when my father committed suicide. From there, my sister and I were taken away from my mother. She was declared incompetent. Uh, she she had become an alcoholic and just was, she, she wasn't able to take care of us. So we were placed into foster care and then into an orphanage. And then uh, that's when I tried to commit suicide and was locked up in an institution. And so at 12 and a half, I tried to take my own life. Well, these guys found me sleeping in the hallway, and it turned out that these four guys that were all living there, they were drug dealers. And so they said, if you want to stay here, you got to work. You deliver the drugs, we'll pay you, and, and we'll feed you, and, and you can have all the drugs you want. So yeah, at that point, I was, I was 14, almost 15 years old, and I just looked at my life after living on the streets for a couple of years, and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to end up becoming a junkie and and I just cried out to God and I said God if you're really real would you help me you know that that night when I got saved um, my life just began to turn around I, mean, I quit doing drugs I went through high school it was supposed to be four years I went through in three years became an honor student 
And I gotta say, it was, it was one of the best times of my life. By this time, I'd met Margot, who's, who's now my wife. We were, we were high school sweethearts from 16 on, and we just started talking about what we wanted to do. And my foster father had become a financial planner. He said, Jeff, he said, you'd be great in sales. He said, you're such a good people person. He said, you know, why don't you come to work with me? Well, you know, typically in, in the sales business, the, the way that they motivate you is say, go get a new car, go get a new house, you know, all the outward trimmings. And the idea there is that they get you so, with such a sense of obligation that you have to go sell. And so I, I fell into that because these were my mentors. And all of a sudden at 24 years old, I find myself credit card bills, two car payments, a house payment, a financed life. I'm frustrated at 24 because I'm sort of like, how do you get ahead? I mean, how do you, how do you get out of debt? I, I just didn't know. And that's when I cried out to God. I said, God, there's got to be a better way. Would you please guide me and open up a door for me so that I could personally become debt free and personally, you know, learn how to, how to become financially independent. And if I could really understand this, I would devote my life to teaching this to people. Two weeks later is when I went to a financial seminar. I just sat there amazed and it was like concept after concept that they taught. I thought, that's the answer, that's the answer, that's the answer. Yeah, I want to do that. So some of the basic principles that we learned, just like in the course, we started applying these principles, found out that they work. They're actually simple. They're they're, they're easy to do, but here's the key. The daily disciplines that you do determine your future. So from, from age 24, I was broke, uh, discouraged, despondent about money. By the time I was 31, I'd become a millionaire. So the biggest principle I learned in there is it's actually easy for God to get money to you. The question is, can God get money through you? Very good. Well, good evening. Let's try that again. Good evening. Hey, if you had a rough day today, it wasn't my fault, okay? So, um, well, listen, I think that you all are in for a real treat this evening. I don't know if this is my thousandth seminar or what it is, but uh, the reason I always love to show that story is so that it kind of puts a little bit framed sort of my story that... Uh, I know what it is to, to live in struggle. I also know what it is to, to be doing well financially. And I've never met anybody yet that said, gee, my goal is to be bankrupt, okay? Uh, would you all agree that everybody would like to be able to be doing better uh, so that you can be blessed and so that you can also be a blessing to other people? And tonight's seminar is really framed um, in, from the context of uh, when I met actually last summer uh, with, uh, with Pastor Clive and, and Jane, and uh, we met last summer, um, and they said, you know, we just, we really want our people to be blessed. I remember when I met with my pastor at Hillsong several years ago, and I said, uh, I said Gary, how can I help serve uh, in the area that my gifting is in, which is in finance? And he said, Jeff, if we could get every single person to become debt-free and to be doing well financially themselves with the right hearts, he said, you know, 
I'm not too worried about the church because if people's hearts are in the right place, then they're going to be doing well. Um, and the church is going to be doing fine. And so, you know, it, it, it does, it, it takes money to, to, you know, to, to, to turn the lights on and to, you know, to, to just be able to keep a place running, just like it takes money for you to be able to run your household. And so, uh, so I, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Clive and Jane. Thank you guys so much for really caring about the community in, in actually hosting this seminar. I think we should give these guys uh, a big round of applause for, for caring. And um, tonight, here's what I'd like to ask you all to do is to just kind of take some notes. We're, we're going to go through probably for about 35 to 45 minutes at the most. Uh, where I'm just going to sort of download to you a bunch of information. It's going to be a little bit like backing the lorry truck up and saying, okay, catch. And I want you to take some notes. And then at break, uh, are the, are the, the, we have like some index cards. Is that right? Back at, in the back at the, uh, at the resource table. So you can pick one up there. And then any questions that you've got, you can just transfer them over there, turn those in at the resource table in the back. And then uh, we're going to come back after about a, a quick 10-minute break after I'm done with the first part. And then Pastor Clive and I are going to come up here and do a Q&A session, okay, to, to really kind of get into what is it that you've really kind of got on your heart. Um, and we'll try to answer some of those questions. So I've, I've done hundreds, if not thousands of these around the world uh, over the last uh, 36 years. I love what I do. I literally, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a sick guy on that Sunday night. I actually get excited about Monday morning, okay? Because, uh, and, and, I, and I really do. I love what I, do, what I do because I remember how it was when I wasn't free financially. And I love being able to see people. I, I get testimonials all the time from people literally all over the world that say, Jeff, I used to be in debt. Now I'm not in debt. Uh, I didn't used to be a tither. Now I'm a tither. And you won't believe it. Uh, I got I to gotta raise on my job. This has happened in my life. Because when you come into connection with God, I want to say this to you, whether, whether you're a believer or not, okay, when with God, you know, how many of you have heard the saying, things go better with Coke? Y'all remember that saying, things go better with Coke? Well, things go better with Jesus, okay? And when you're doing it God's way, boy, it just works, okay? So why don't we jump right in? And, and at break, you'll also have the opportunity if you want to. Uh, we actually, this, this is actually a, a seminar book that we have. It's a book that I wrote last year called Your Journey to Financial Freedom. Goes into much more depth and much more detail than what I'm going to be going through tonight. So if you can just kind of hold your questions, I'm going to rip through the next 35, 40 minutes, and then we'll be doing Q&A uh, right after our break. Okay, can we go to the first slide, if you will? You know, the, the very first step in achieving financial freedom, which is really what we're talking about here tonight, is to know your destination. It always amazes me how that people say, gee, I'd really like to be financially independent. And we oftentimes say to them, do you have something that we call a clear, concise mental picture? In other words, do you actually have a goal? Now, the scripture says, and this is not a Bible study tonight, but I would like to refer to this because every single principle that I've written in this book, even though that it's not a biblical book, every single principle in here, I can show you where that every single principle is actually in the Bible. So a lot of people, I'll hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I just want what God wants for me, and that's good, but what does the Bible say? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Well, if you don't know what you want, trust me, God doesn't either. (laughs) Another scripture that says, write the vision and make it plain. And God wants you to be excited about where you're going in your life. And it's not an unspiritual thing to be able to want. You know, you know it says that we were made in the image of God. Well, you know, that's not just our, phys- our, our physique. It's also the fact that God is a very creative being. And that's how God made us is to be creative. Okay. So the very first thing, it's much like a sat nav, is know your destination. Where is it that you want to go? Where do you want to be financially a year from now, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. And, you know, I remember as I, as I grew up in church, I remember once, I remember once our pastors, you know, and this is years ago, uh, back in the early 1970s saying, Hey, don't worry about the future. Jesus is coming. Well, he hasn't come yet. Okay. And I don't know if he's coming tomorrow or coming in 20 years or 30 years. It says that no man knows that day, but it also says that a wise person prepares for the future. I've actually, I've actually had Christians tell me before, they said, you know, I don't save money. I don't believe in that. And I go, oh, well, then, then you must not believe the scripture where Solomon said, only a fool spends everything that he makes. Wow. I didn't say it. Solomon did. Okay. So, so we need to become good stewards over our money. And you need to be able to link your clear, concise mental picture with emotions and where you actually want to go down the road. I want to tell you just a real quick story. My first clear, concise mental picture when I actually got involved in doing this uh, some 36 years ago is I said to my wife, I said, honey, let's get out of debt. You know, we had Visa, we had MasterCard, a couple of car payments and a mortgage. In nine months, I made enough money part-time to be able to go get out of debt. The very next year, I went full-time in that business and we saved 20 grand. And the third year, I want to tell you what my clear, concise mental picture was. I was serving on the board of directors of our, we had a little church, okay? It was, I say little, it was about 300 people, okay? And I, and I knew what the debt of the church was. It was $72,000. And I went to the pastor and said, Pastor, my goal this year is to pay the church off. Can I please have the payment book? So, you see, having goals isn't all about you. Uh, you'll like this story, Clive, because when I went to the pastor and said, can I get the payment book? Because I really feel like that God told me that, that I should pay the church off this year. He said, that's great. I said, don't you want to pray about it? He said, I'm a man of faith. I believe God's been talking to you, okay? So, so your goals don't have to be about me, myself, and I. That's part of the problem with money is people think, well, it's all about greed and it's all... No, it's not. It's about... Could you do some other things financially to be able to help other people? It's okay for you to have a nice house, a nice car, all that, but just don't get caught up in that, okay? And then the, uh, the one down in the bottom there, it says the 10, I hope that you write this one down, it's called the 10-10-10-70 strategy. It's a nice, easy way. In the back of this book, we actually have a, a budget, although, you know, you can go online, you can pull up any kind of a budget. How many of you in here actually live pretty strictly by a budget? How many of you? Yeah, about a half a dozen of you. That's good. I know, I know this is an honest group here, okay? Either that or, or how many of you don't like to raise your hands in meetings? <laughs> so... Having a budget, okay, just almost seems a bit restrictive. And so when I first heard this, I thought, you know, I can do that. And here's what it is. The very first 10% 
is, is something that I've done for years and years, ever since I was a teenager, and I give the very first 10%. And by the way, someone said, should it be the gross or the net that you tithe on? And my, my question is, is, would you like God to bless you gross or net? Okay. So I've always tithed on the gross. Okay. I, I just, I just don't get, you know, I don't get caught up in it. It's not a legalistic thing. So I take the first 10% and I give. Okay. And I sow that into my local church where I'm actually getting fed spiritually. The next 10%, I put it into a short term emergency fund, like a savings account. I know you don't make much money on it, but you know, at least it's there and it's, it's not fluctuating in the market. The next 10% goes into a long-term strategy. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. And that could be like in stocks and shares or property or that type of thing for a long-term investment. And then the 70% you learn to live on. And I already know what's going through some of your heads right now. You're going, hey, Jeff, I'm already spending 110%. How could I actually get to that? Uh, guys, you got to trust me on this, okay? Anybody can do this. You just need a plan. You need a strategy. When I first saw this, I was living on 110%, just like most people, okay? But, but what happened is, is I got a plan together to start putting that together to where I could get out of debt and then start living by the strategy. Okay, can we go to the next slide? So the next one is called the spare tire in the boot. You know, uh, we use a lot of the analogies here of driving a vehicle. Well, I think you all would agree that if you're driving a car, it might be a good idea to have a spare tire in the boot. And, and so one of the very first things that we recommend to people is get a thousand pounds. This is not a big amount, but again, I remember t- when I was 24, this sounded like a lot of money. Get a thousand pounds in your savings account, in your emergency fund. Okay. You might say, Jeff, even if I'm paying credit card debt, yes, and I want to tell you the reason why. It gives you peace of mind, and that becomes something that we refer to as the do not touch fund, okay? Then in addition to that, sort of a longer term goal for this spare tire in the boot, if you will, an emergency fund is three to six months of your living expenses in an emergency fund. So let me give you an example. If it costs you, let's say, 2,000 pounds a month to live, your bills, okay, then three months times 2,000 would be 6,000. Everybody with me on that? Six months times 2,000 would be 12,000. So your goal should be to get six to 12,000 pounds in an emergency fund that you could get your hands on fairly quickly. Now, here's what's interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Most people in this country, and when I say most people, I'm talking up in the, like, 90% plus. 90% plus of the people are literally two paychecks away from financial disaster. Most people, if they went into their job tomorrow and they, they, they had padlocks on the door, no income, no job, two weeks from now, most people would be, you know, in the bread line. Okay, that's not a good place to be. Would you all agree with that? Okay. All right, can we go to the next one? Protecting your family, seatbelts and airbags. Now, th- this is kind of talking, you know, it's, it's interesting. How many of you are old enough to remember when cars did not have seatbelts? Yeah, okay. And um, I don't, did, did, did they have, I, I was originally born and raised in the States. I've lived here for 15 years. But when I was a kid, we used to have these, these paddles that had this rubber ball. Anybody ever seen one? Did, did they have those things here? They, you know, I mean, you know, it definitely it wasn't it, it, today's standard of health and safety. It definitely wouldn't pass. Or we had, did, did you guys have wood burners over here? 
Yeah, where the, the plug on it, you know, was about this big, the lead on it, and then it was like right next to the, to the, to the curtains by the window, okay, that could have caught on fire. And so seat belts today, we just wouldn't even think about getting in a vehicle and not putting a seat belt on. Well, this is basically talking about insurance. So car insurance, home insurance, life insurance, Okay, could potentially even be health insurance. Okay, I know, I know we have the NHS, okay, but there's, you know, if you, if you don't want to wait and all those types of things. But oftentimes I hear, I hear believers say, well, Jeff, having insurance is a lack of faith. Okay, well, actually, can you show me that in the Bible? Because I can show you a scripture that says the prudent man foresees the potential evil and prepares himself while the simpleton, or one version says the stupid, pass on and they're punished. Because see, the Bible does say it's appointed unto man once to die, right? So we all know we're going to die. I don't know why they call it life insurance. They probably ought to call it death insurance, okay? But the fact is, is that you don't buy life insurance in case you die. You buy life insurance so that if and when you do die, and all of us will, that someone else has to continue to go on living. So really what life insurance is, it's nothing more than you're kind of like renting wealth until you can accumulate wealth. And once you get total debt free and you got enough money in savings that if you died, your family could live off the interest off of that, then you probably don't need life insurance because you're kind of self-insured, if you will. And it is a great way to be able to literally be able to, for for pennies on the pound. I kid you not, guys, for most people in this room, for the price of Sky TV, less than Sky TV, okay, you can properly protect yourselves when it comes to life cover and critical illness or, you know, serious illness, that type of thing. And so you really want to make sure that your insurance is up to date, your, your home insurance, your car insurance, okay? You know, none of us really think much about that until what? Till when you need it, right? Another person asked me once, they said, when's the best time to buy life insurance? The day before you die. Unfortunately, none of us know the date of that, okay? So make sure that when you're putting your financial plan together that you're, you know, that you're also, you know, that, that, that you're, not, you're not becoming insurance poor, but you're also making sure that you, that you buy the right amount and the right type and, and just, you know, just make sure that you're, that, you're, that you're properly insured, okay? If we could go to the next slide, please. The highway code. Um, you know, there's, there's two parts to passing the test. One is the practical, right? And, you know, where you actually have to get in the, in the car. And then the other one is, is the actual, you know, where you got to read a book and go on and take the test, okay? This part is, you know, you really need to know what the highway code is and know the rules. And I'm going to talk to you for just a moment here about revolving debt versus fixed debt. It's amazing in school, they don't teach you this stuff. And then something that we call the rule of 72. How many of you in here have ever heard of something called the rule of 72? A few of you, and it's probably because you came to our seminar, okay? So if we could, let's, let's go to the next slide here. So um, I'll come back to the, in fact, let me, let me just kind of, let me just kind of go back to the, to the rule of 72 because I, I don't have the, the actual chart up there. Here's basically what it says is this, is if you take the number 72, divide your interest rate into it, it tells you the number of years it takes to double your money. Let me give you an example. If you could get 10% on your money, 
and I'm just using that as an illustration, 72 divided by 10 equals 7.2. Is everybody with me on that? So if you had one pound at 10%, it takes 7.2 years to double it. I don't have time to go through all, all the numbers with you here tonight, but if you put your money in the bank, if you could get 3%, most people would be pretty happy with that. Those were kind of the good old days. That means 72 divided by three, your money doubles every 24 years. So if you had 10,000 pounds today, 48 years from now, it would be worth 40,000. Now, what do you think the bank does with your money? Anybody? This is not a trick question. They invest it. They loan it out, okay? They give it to people on credit cards at 18 to 24%. Did you know actually that the banks, for every one pound that's on deposit, they can actually loan out 13 pounds. So if you, if, you, if you had a bank and you had a billion pounds of our money, it's not even your money, it's something that the banks call OPM, other people's money, okay? If you had a billion pounds of other people's money, you could actually loan out 13 billion and collect interest on all that money. How many of you like to have a business like that? Okay. Then if you get in trouble, the government will bail you, bail you out. Isn't that great? Okay. So, so and, and by the way, before the financial crash, they could actually leverage it 30 to 1. Okay. Now they've tightened it up. So using it back to the rule of 72. So you give your money to the bank. If they could give you back 3%, it doubles <laughs> In 24 years, doubles again in another 24 years, so they give you back 40000 Take the same money, put it at 12%, and it makes 2560000 at the bank. That's what the bank makes with your money. Out of the kindness of their heart, they give you back 40000 and they keep 2520000 pounds. There's a scripture in Luke 16 where Jesus said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And so many times we're just kind of going, oh, praise the Lord, isn't God good? And we're not very good stewards with our money. Okay, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all learn how to just do even half that two and a half million, you know, and be able to, uh, to leave some of that behind for our loved ones, our church, whatever else it might be. It all, it all really boils down to, to good, wise stewardship. So the next principle is really how to beat the banks. Now, listen, guys, I am not against the banks, Okay, we, we use the banks all the time. I just remortgaged a buy-to-let property uh, just, just last week for 1.89% interest. Okay, and I'm making about 10% uh, yield on the property. See, I'm basically doing to the banks what they've been doing to me for years. Is everybody with me on this? Okay, so when you leverage it, it's not a bad thing. But when you're on the paying end and you're paying out 18 to 24% interest on credit cards, guys, I mean, there's just no way that you're ever going to become financially independent. So that's one, that's one way to beat the banks. Another way to beat the banks is stay out of debt. Okay? And, and, and to learn how to borrow money so that you can make money. I'm not talking about borrowing it on risky things. Okay? I'm talking about, you know, and, and how many of you here have ever invested in a buy-to-let Property, buy to let property. Okay. Okay. So you might say, well, I'm interested in property. Well, go sit down and talk to someone like Neil. I'll, I'll bet you that he'd be willing to talk to you, especially if you'd say, I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> okay. And I know their story. A few years ago, they didn't have any properties. They went to a seminar like this. They started building a property portfolio to help their pension. Okay. And there's, it's still a great way in this country to be able to invest your money. But 
before you go do it, it might be a good idea to talk to someone that knows what they're doing. Would you all agree with that? Okay. And then uh, accelerate your mortgage. Now, this is, a, this is another one. You're probably going to want to pick a copy of this book up. But let me just kind of go through this with you. And you might want to write this down. It's called either bi-weekly payment or fortnightly payment. So, how many of you have ever had a mortgage before? Mortgage. How many of you? Does anybody know what the word mortgage means? The first part, mort comes from the root word, the Latin word mortuary, which means death. Gage actually is the word for grip. So if you put those two together, mortgage actually means death grip. It's kind of funny. People come to church and go, praise the Lord, I've got a mortgage. I've got a death grip, you know. So So on a mortgage, because most people don't have the cash to be able to go out and buy a property, okay, how do the banks ask us to make a payment? Is it every day? Is it monthly? Is it quarterly? How, what do most banks do? Monthly. But did you know that you could actually take your normal payment and actually cut it in half and pay half two weeks early and then take the other half and pay two weeks later and it'll take a 25-year mortgage and cut it down to 18 years? How many of you knew that? Okay. I want to promise you that when you go talk to your bank and say, I want one of them, they're going to go, we don't do that. Okay. So I can tell you how to do that 100% of the time. Here's how to do it. How many of you would like to know how to do that? Okay. So go in, talk to your bank and say, hey, I went to the seminar and this crazy guy that still has his American accent. Okay. Even though he's got a British passport. Um, he told me there's something called a fortnightly or a bi-weekly payment. And I promise you, 99% of the time, the banker's going to go, never heard of it. We don't do that. So what you're probably going to end up having to do is to set it up on a monthly bank draft. Okay, is that right, Kevin? On, on, I'm sorry, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a bi-weekly or fortnightly bank draft every two weeks. Make sure it's done two weeks earlier, not two weeks later, because then you're going to be in default. Okay? And if you send that in, guys, they have to be able to take the payment. Now, again, check with your bank, because sometimes they have a minimum amount that you can pay. Okay, they got all kinds of little tricks in there. In addition to that, many times you can add an extra, and, and we, have a, we have like a whole financial calculator that we can do this for you. We've got a whole, you know, like a, where you can plug your numbers in, and you said, hey, I want to put an extra 25 in there every two weeks. Normally, it'll pay it off like, 18 to, to, to 24 months, depending on what your interest rate is, 18 to 24 months early. Now, why do you think the banks don't want you to know about that? Because that's right, they're not going to make as much money. So we actually own a mortgage company, a mortgage brokerage company, okay? And the banks hate us because all of our clients, we educate them on how they can actually do that. Because... I don't know about you, I would rather pay the bank for 18 years instead of 25 years. Is everybody with me on that? Okay, great. Let's go to the next slide. Avoid the slow lane investing for the long term. Now, what, what kind of interest rate can you get right now at the banks? Not 0.1? Yeah, not 0.1, not 0.25 maybe. If you're lucky, maybe 1% on a long term ISA. Okay. So, I'm not 
talking to you about, about investing in the stock market as far as going and buying individual shares, although you certainly could, but the majority of us don't have the time, we don't have the temperament, we don't have the training or the knowledge to be able to do that. And the problem in investing in the stock market is that, you know, especially if you just buy one stock, your, your, your wealth kind of rises and falls with that one. So there are something called investment funds. And investment funds basically, you know, could have 100 shares or 300 shares or it could, it could own properties. It could buy stocks and bonds. And you can put money into these accounts for as little, many of them for as little as 50 pounds a month. Okay, we, we actually, we have one where you can do as little as, isn't it, 25 pounds a month. I promise you, all of you, if I sat down with you, if one of our people sat down with you and did a budget, I promise you we could find 25 quid in your budget. Might be a pizza and a Coke or a takeaway, but we'll find it in there, okay? And when your money goes into this, guys, here's what's amazing. Guess who the biggest investors are in investment funds? Banks and insurance companies. So what happens is, is we're putting our money into the bank or into the insurance company and they're turning around investing it in investment funds making somewhere between 10 and 20% on the money and then they give us back 0.1%. Okay, doesn't it make sense for you to do that instead of them getting all the profit? Now again, you got to get a bit of an education on this and I kid you, you know, I was thinking about this over, over this last weekend, I kid you not guys, I have spent over the last 30 some years over a hundred thousand pounds in getting educated when it comes to money. Now here's the good news, you don't have to do that, okay? You can invest probably about 40 quid, 50 quid for the books and the USB that's got about 40 hours of teaching on it, okay? And right here, I mean, this, we, we've done all your research for you, if you will, okay? And I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, if, if you want to do, you know, financial analysis. I, I want to also mention, are there any IFAs, anybody in here that's an IFA, independent financial advisor, anybody that does financial planning, okay? Anybody that does mortgages, one, is that a hand back there? Are you, are you waving at me or no? Nope, is there nobody over there? Okay. Is there anybody in the back there? Yes. Who do you mind? Do you mind me ask, asking who do you work for? Okay. And do you actually do financial planning? You're a mortgage paraplanner. Okay. So if somebody wanted a mortgage for like uh, buy to let or individual property, like a, a home, you could do that for them? Or you certainly could hook them up with, with that, okay? That's great. So, and, and are you part of this church? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Are you a tither? Yes. Cool, that's great. Now, I want to tell you the reason why I asked that question is this. If she isn't a tither, why should I do business with her if she's not willing to sew back into the house? And what's the difference in me doing business with her and doing business with someone else? Okay. Yeah, boy, it's really quiet in here now, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so let me say this to you: There, uh, who's? Do we have anybody in here that's in their teens? In their teens? I'm not talking about mentally. Okay, I'm talking about. Yeah. We got we got one hand. Do you mind me asking what what your age is? Is is that your dad that did that to you? Don't be embarrassed. Okay. 
17. That's great. That's great. I think I have a pair of shoes as old as you, okay? <laughs> Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody 17 years old could, could actually learn this stuff? Here's what's amazing. A person at that age, if they would invest 50 pounds a month, okay? 50 pounds a month until their retirement of 65. Now, I, I know 65 is really old for you, right? Okay. Yeah, I, re- I remember when I was 17. And in fact, Margo and I got married when we were 19 and her mother was 39. I actually said, I wonder how much longer she'll be alive. Okay. <laughs> but at that age, guys, literally 50 quid a month in a good investment account would be worth somewhere between 500 and 800,000 pounds at retirement age. And yet most people won't do it because most of us don't think about tomorrow. So you want to make sure that you get a good education on investment funds. And you know, the best time to get started is today. Okay. It's, you know, I mean, it's the, the problem with procrastination is you keep putting it off. And so I would really encourage you, you know, don't, don't keep waiting because you're not going to get any younger. That's for sure. Let's go to the next slide, if you will. Avoid the congestion charge, okay? Uh, This is, you know, kind of like driving into London. None of us like paying for that congestion charge. And here we're talking about minimizing taxes. Now, do do we have any self-employed people in here? Any self-employed people, okay? Do we have any any accountants in here? Anybody that does taxes for people? Anybody does taxes, okay? Do you have a, a tax practice? Corporations, okay. So, so guys, I want to say this to you. For those of you, especially those of you that, that have got a business or you're thinking about getting a business, guys, get a good accountant. Okay, I'm just telling you, they, they will pay for themselves literally because they're going to show you all kinds of different tax breaks. Now, there's a difference in income tax evasion and, and proper tax deductions. You know what the difference is? Ten years in prison, okay? But... You can actually, I mean, literally, uh, we, we have clients. I mean, I've sat down with them before. I remember when I used to be on PAYE, I got into business part-time, and all of a sudden, I started getting back a tax refund because all of a sudden, my, my phone was tax deductible. I had an office in my home. My vehicle was deductible for the mileage that I put on, okay? So I would encourage all of you to at least think about, not everybody should, should own their own business, but boy, guys, if you got a gift in your life, Think about how could you actually use that gift to be able to leverage, you know, to be able to leverage it, to be able to make more money, and you get a heck of a lot of tax benefits by being in your own business, okay? So you need to know what those benefits are as far as tax benefits. Next slide, if you will. Release the handbrake, building a legacy. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I pretty much know what the numbers are statistically here in the U.K., um, about uh, seven out of ten people do not have a will. I'm not talking about a will to live, okay? <laughs> talking about a will in case you were to die, all right? Now, many people say, well, you know, I don't need a will. I don't have that much. But here's the challenge is that if you die without a will, by the way, do we have any, any lawyers, any attorneys or solicitors in here, anybody that does wills, okay? You know, I, I just gave you guys a few people you might want to invite to church, Okay, solicitors, financial planners, some mortgage brokers. Okay, they might be good people to bring. So if uh, if you do not have a will, I want to tell you that the government actually has a plan 
already done for you. And here's what it basically says, is that if you die without a will, it's called intestate. So everything that you own enters into probate court. Now let me ask you this, knowing what you know about the court system, about the government, do you think that they're that it's sort of set up to, to give you the maximum, your family, or the minimum? minimum. Yeah, absolutely, it's going to give you the minimum. <coughs> for literally, guys, just a few quid, you know, I mean, for probably, I don't know, 49 pounds, you know, I mean, you, you could go to W.H. Smith and get a cheapie and write it out, okay, but personally, I just, I, I wouldn't do that because I, I would want it done properly. I'd want someone that actually knows what they're doing to be able to draft it. Um, and so every single one of you in here should have a will. Now, because we're doing this in a church, I want to just mention this. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip or anything else. I'm just trying to sow a seed and sow a thought. Most people don't think about this, that, you know, I, I'm a tither. In other words, I give 10% of whatever I earn, my increase. But in addition to that, in my will, I also have left 10% to my church. Okay. And so it's a great way to be able to leave a legacy behind. Also, if you've got small children, uh, here's a question. You don't, and, and you guys heard my story. Both of my parents died. They didn't have a will, didn't have a trust, didn't have life insurance. We had seven aunts and uncles, and none of them took us in. So we ended up under Department of Children and Family Services. And, they, you know, I mean, they, they could have fought for us, I'm sure. <laughs> But nobody did, and there wasn't a will to direct them, you know, to direct anybody on who was supposed to take care of us. So, and I already know what's going through most people's minds. Well, we're, we've thought about it, but we're having a problem deciding it. Well, if you're having a problem, think about the people left behind, how much of a problem they're going to have trying to figure out what you wanted to do. So it's a great way to leave a legacy to behind, to be able to have a will, a trust, you know. It's, it's so interesting that, um, uh, does anybody know how estate taxes, how IHT inheritance taxes work? Because on one end, people say I don't have much, but all of a sudden I start accumulating some money. Let's say you get up, you know, to over 400000 Anybody know how much they tax you after that? Could be up to 40%. Isn't that great? They tax you all your life to accumulate something, and then when you die, and maybe you got a little bit of something, now they want 40% from the family. I tell you. I don't know. How many politicians we got in here? Oh, you might not want to. <laughs> I heard it was so cold this winter that up in London, the politicians actually had their hands in their own pockets. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, maintain your vehicle. This is kind of talking a little bit more about protecting your legacy uh, benefit, again, by, by leaving a will. There's also something called a trust. Now, here's, here's what's so interesting, guys. You know, the queen. Um, did you guys know that the queen, that, that she and her family have inherited multi-millions and that when she dies, would anybody like to guess how much inheritance tax there is? Yeah, zero. And it's not because she's the queen. It's because that they've set these up in trusts and they've actually able to pass this on. And the way that a trust works is that a trust continues to live. So even the person that's the trustee, they die. The trust still continues. So there's, there's no actual inheritance tax on that actual trust. I'm not a trust specialist. We have people in our offices that do wills and trusts and all that type of thing, okay? 
But guys, there's a way to set this up properly. Doesn't it make sense to get that done now instead of leaving your family behind to sort it out? Because it's a mess. Okay, let's go to the next one, if you will. High octane fuel. You know, I got to say this to you. I don't know people that become financially independent that do not have a good winning attitude. Okay, would you all agree that all of us have had stuff happen to us in our lives that we could become negative about? Would you all agree? Would you all agree to that? Okay, I mean, all of us. If we if we wanted to, I'm sure if I started up here on the front row and said, "Tell us, let's all have a pity party." Okay, and we we all have. To, I mean, I could start telling you my story. You know, my father committed suicide and blah blah blah. And yeah, listen, guys, we've all had tough times. Okay, but when you get renewed in, in Christ. And you begin to understand that there's a greater hope. You begin to understand that, there's, that, 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 that there is a reason to be positive and that I can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. Okay, That's one of the ways that I believe that you can actually become financially independent is that when your heart's in the right place and your head is in the right place. Now, do you think the enemy wants you to do well? Especially if you, if you got the right heart. Obviously not, okay? And if it's more blessed to give than to receive, how can you do that if you don't have anything? I oftentimes say, how many of you would like to help the poor? How many of you would honestly like to help poor people? Okay, let me tell you the first step. Don't be one of them. If you're poor, you can't help poor, you, know, you can't help anybody. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, sure, you can open the door and, you know, carry their groceries in, but you, you probably can't buy their groceries for them, okay? And so that's one of the best ways is don't be one of the poor. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So let's kind of talk a little bit about what your options are from here, because I just dumped a lot on you in the last 35 minutes or so. Number one is... You could leave it to a professional, okay? And the IFAs, there, there are some great independent financial advisors. Uh, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a history here. 30 years ago, there used to be 300,000 people selling financial services. Roll the clock forward 30 years, and there are now less than 20,000, so it went from 300,000 down to 20,000, independent financial advisors. I have many of them that are, that are friends of mine, okay? Now, the average financial advisor will not even talk to you for less than 150 to 250 pounds an hour. And if you don't have 100 grand to write a check today to be able to invest, they don't even want to talk to you, okay? So if you're in that category, go find a good IFA, and that's fantastic. They can probably help you. If you don't know one, I know a couple of great guys that are honest, and they really do a great job when it comes to financial planning. That's option number one. Leave it to the professionals, okay? Option number two is do it yourself. I know a lot of people like this. They say, well, you know, I'm not going to pay anybody. I'm going to do everything myself. I'm going to fix my car. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I mean, you know, they try to be a mechanic, a butcher, uh, you know, carpenter, everything. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the reason that the scripture says that it's, that, that God made us and he said it's, it's not good that man dwells alone. It wasn't just for, for a husband and wife. It was because God gave us all different gifts. I want to tell you, I am not a mechanic. When I have something wrong with my car, 
I give the car keys to my mechanic and I say, please fix it. I, all I know is, is when I put the key in, it doesn't start, okay, or it needs new tires. Do an MOT, tell me what needs to be done, you're the expert, okay? Whenever I have a pain right here, I don't go on Google and try to figure it out and give myself surgery, okay? I have a problem with a tooth, I don't get a drill out and start drilling it to give myself a filling, The reason that God made us all deficient in different areas is so that we have to be able to rely on each other. But you could go do it yourself. So you may be one of those absolute geniuses when it comes to the stock market and investing and you know everything. And that's great. If you are, please see us afterwards because I'd like to hire you to work for us, okay? But most people are not that good when it comes to finances. And it does. I mean, you know, it's it's like anything, okay? It's, it's, It's... You know, and and you can't be an expert in every area. The third area is get education and get guidance. Now, I talked to Pastor Clive about this uh, earlier because I want to be very sensitive to this, especially here in church. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you, okay? I am not trying to sell you anything here tonight, okay? All I'm saying is go somewhere and get something done when it comes to your money. We've all been to seminars before and we got the notebooks and the t-shirt and we took the notebooks and we put them up on the shelf and they're collecting dust and we never did anything about it, okay? I don't care where you go, just go somewhere. That's the reason why I asked if there was anybody else in here that does that business, okay? Now, Genistar, we are a financial education company. We're also a financial services company. We do mortgages, investments, property, insurance, okay? Wills and trusts, we do all kinds of different things, okay? If you are interested, in the back at the resource table, you can pick up one of these cards. You can fill one out, and we would have... one of our associates talk with you. If you're not interested, by the way, is this okay, Pastor Clive? Am I doing good? No pressure. Because here's what I said to Pastor Clive. I said, Pastor, I said, listen, if if we tell people all about this and they go, man, I want to get my finances going. Where do I go? I'm giving you a place to go. But if you don't want to talk to us, it's cool. We still love you. Okay? So um, could I get uh, Neil and Winter, would you guys stand up? Neil and Winter, and Kevin, and where's Steve Obridge? Steve? Steve? And Pastor, how many of you know Pastor Phil? How many of you know Pastor Phil Pulley? Okay. How many of you know Pastor Phil Pulley? Okay. Well, he's also working with us. Thank you, guys. Okay. And, and they would, you know, again, what we do is we'll collect these. They'll give you a call in the next week. They'll sit down. We do a financial analysis, just like an IFA, but we don't charge you a thousand pounds. We do it for free. And at the end of it, if we can help you in some of those areas, then we get paid directly from those companies. We get paid, you know, a commission directly from those companies. It doesn't come out of your pocket. Okay? And honestly, guys, do not feel pressured. There is, everybody say zero. Zero. There's zero pressure. This is not a sales pitch. I just said to Pastor Clive, I said, the, the, the saddest thing is if they walk out the door and they said, if I just knew where to go. So we're telling you. Those are your three options. Those are the only three that I know. Go find a financial advisor. They're going to charge you 150 quid an hour, probably a minimum of six hours. Go do it on your, on, on your own, which is an option. Okay, that's great. Or get an education, talk to somebody like us. And as far as I know, we're the only ones that do what we do for free. Okay, so. 
Okay, um, and let's, uh, do we have one more slide or is that it? Ah, I wanted to, to just kind of kind of wrap this up and ask you a question. If you would, just kind of think where you're at right now and how does it feel? Okay, for some of you, it probably doesn't feel too good. I, mean, I want you to think about how much money that you currently have. In fact, if you got a piece of paper there, I'd like for you to write down the number of years that you've been working, approximately. So let's say it's been 20 years. And the amount of money that you've been averaging per year, let's say it's 25,000 a year. What's 25,000 times 20? 500,000. Then I'd like for you, you don't have to write it down, but in your head, you know how much money could you get your hands on by tomorrow morning? Heard somebody over here kind of laugh. Did you hear them over there? Okay. <laughs> and let's say that that number's whatever, 2,000, 5,000, whatever the number is. Where did the other half a million go? Does anybody know the definition of insanity? Continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Okay. So now I'd like for you to think about where do you want to go to? How would it feel? to have a property portfolio that's fully paid for and you're making 3,000 pounds a month just on the rental income. Plus you've got your whopping 110 quid a week from the government coming. Isn't that one exciting? Okay, that's, that's what the pension is now, 110 quid a week. Okay? Plus you've got if, you know, maybe, maybe your, your, your company pension, okay? And you have no financial pressure. How does that feel now? A whole lot better than, than looking at whatever it is that you're at, you know, at now. So I want to encourage all of you that I don't care how dire your situation is, guys. It can change. But if you keep doing the same things that you've been doing, it, it won't change. And it really does boil down to getting the proper education. Okay? And I'll do this before we take a break. So we've got some resources and honestly, guys, and, and, I, and I want to say this to you. I did not say this Sunday. I mean this sincerely, okay? If you're here tonight and you cannot afford the resources, okay, you please come up and, and see one of the pastors, okay? And we will make sure that you get the resources, okay? So it's not about Jeff trying to sell you books. Honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't need your money, okay? But... Your Journey to Financial Freedom is, a, is the practical book we just went through. True Riches is a biblical, this is kind of what I, what I did for the last couple of weeks in far teaching, what does the Bible actually say about money? And there's also some good practical stuff. And then we have some other, we have about 40 hours of teaching on here about biblical finance. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who's a good friend of mine, teaches why is it that Jewish people prosper disproportionately to other groups of people? It's not because they're Jewish. Okay, and he teaches everybody how they can actually do that. It's on a USB, and we have all those resources uh, in the back. Plus, if you are interested in doing a financial plan, fill the form out, leave it back there. Someone will give you a call in the next week, and uh, I think we're ready for a ten-minute break. So, yes, yes, and also, how many of you in here have at least one question that you'd like to be able to ask? How many of you? Okay, a few of you. Great. So at break, also we have like index cards, do we, in the back? Is that right? 
Index cards, great. So see the ladies back at the resource table, grab an index card, fill it out, turn it in, and we'll see you all back in here in 10 minutes to answer some of your questions, okay? Great. Okay. Well, we've got some really good questions here. So uh, hopefully we'll ask the expert and we'll get some great answers. By, by the way, today yeah. is Clive and Jane's 32nd, First. 31st wedding anniversary. So I think we ought to give them a big hand. And thank, thank you for inviting all of us to celebrate with you tonight. And <laughs> it's a great way to celebrate, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Jeff, uh, first question. Can I leave my house as a trust? Or in a trust. Yeah, in a trust. Um, well, let me, you know, first of all, let me say this to you. One of the things I, I promise you all is, is I will be 100% honest with you if I don't know the answer, okay? I am not the wills and trusts expert. We actually have a guy on staff with us who deals with small and large, you know, estates. Um, but let me say this to you. Th- there are ways that you can actually be able to change ownership and be able to put things in trust. And you just need to sit down and talk with someone that you can really trust and get this stuff done now. I mean, there's, there's loads of these rules, especially if you're elderly, where that, you know, if it's not done within a certain period of time, then the government can, you know, they can revoke that. Um, you know, there's, there's all these spend down things. So what I would say to you is, is make sure that you talk to someone that really understands that field. Again, we're, we're happy to put you in touch with our person. They do a free consultation to talk to you about wills and trusts, uh, or if you've got a solicitor and you're comfortable talking with them, um, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, but, but, but there, there are ways to be able to get this done and, and proper, Estate planning is really nothing more than proper stewardship of knowing how to set things up. Great, okay. Quite a few people have asked this one. Uh, you, you said something about paying your mortgage fortnightly every, every 14 days, mm. uh, and it knocks six to seven years off a 25-year mortgage. Can you just explain a little bit more how does that work mm. and, and what does somebody need to do in order to activate that or, or pay okay. them that way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, two things are happening. Um, for those of you that are not good with maths like me, and honestly, maths were my worst, I mean, my worst subject. When a pound sign and a dollar sign went in front of the numbers, it took on a whole new meaning for some reason, you know. But uh, basically what happens is, is how many weeks a year do you have? 52. What's 52 divided by 2? 26. So what you're really doing is you're making 26 half payments because you're doing this every two weeks. Everybody with me? So 26 half payments actually equals 13 monthly payments. Does everybody follow me on that? Okay. And, and so you're really making one extra payment a year by doing a half payment every two weeks. In addition to that, because you're prepaying half the payment two weeks early, more of the money goes to the capital than to the interest. And it might not be much. It might only be two quid, three quid, seven quid, okay? But it's paying the mortgage down quicker. It's just sort of chipping away at it a little bit quicker. And that's how that it takes a 25-year mortgage all the way down to 18 years. 
Okay, so that's kind of the, the short, um, sort of the short explanation. Um, and it's, it's something that in the, in the industry we call it mortgage acceleration. You're simply accelerating your mortgage. Now the way to do it is that you, you would need to set it up with your bank. Um, Kevin, you, I know you and Steve and you guys do this all the time. I mean, I just, I don't meet with clients anymore. Um, but basically what, what's the person do? They have to set up a standing order. Would you, would you mind if he, Kevin, why don't you come up here just real quick and grab, grab the mic so that they can, because I'm not out there doing this every day with clients, but Kevin and Steve and so, Winter and these yeah. guys would be. Initially, it's probably best to have a conversation with the bank, and quite often you'll get a less than cooperative response. With the um, lender. With the lender. Your existing lender. lender. Yeah. And uh, again, those of you that filled in the slips, a good idea is just to get somebody from Genistar maybe to hold your hand through that process anyway. You speak to the lender, quite often the lender will say, oh, we can't do that. And they'll say, we do not have a facility to pay the mortgage by direct debit any more often than once a month. And that's where we can coach people to say, that's okay, I'll set up a standing order then. And the language now starts to get, you know, they're more informed, that that family are more informed. And at that point, um, they also might say, we won't do that. So simply what we've learned to say is, that's okay, um, we will tell the financial ombudsman that you won't do that for us. And it usually changes the tune that comes back. Yeah. And because we now have literally tens of thousands of families over the last 11 years that have successfully done it with most of the major lenders and banks yeah. and most of, most of the branches that you would probably be going to. Very so good. we've got precedents now. Yeah. And, and let me say this to you, Clive, the, thank you, Kevin. Um, you thank know, you. It's, it's, it's not that you're trying to get nasty with them. But sometimes the bank will say, no, we can't do that. In fact, many times they'll bring like the bank manager in. And, and here's, you know, I'm not telling you to be mean, but you know, the scripture says to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, but it doesn't mean that you have to let people, you know, walk over you. <clears throat> and so, um, so here's, here's what you say. You say, okay, no problem. Would you do me a favor and put that in writing for me? From, on, on, on the bank letterhead that says that I cannot do a bi-weekly payment. And they're going to say, well, what do you need that for? Well, I'm going to take a copy of that and send that to the Financial Conduct Authority and let's see what they have to say about it. A hundred percent of the time, they will get it done. Okay? Now, you might say, well, that's not very Christian. Well, it's not very Christian that they're ripping you off for eight years. Okay? And so, so I, I just, you may end up having to get, get a bit firm with them, but I, I've, I've just very, very rarely, maybe 1% of the time that we can't actually get this done. Okay. Great. Uh, here's another one linked with a mortgage. Assuming my finances are in reasonable order, should I overpay on a mortgage that's at 2% or put the money into an investment fund where I may get 5 to 10%? Okay. Um, you know, probably the biggest answer you're going to hear tonight from me is it depends. Okay. Uh, one of the things that, that we do in our company, we don't, we don't even give advice. We give education so that you can make an intelligent decision. I think it depends on what your risk tolerance is, depends on what your age is, depends on how much cash that you have. And it kind of depends on what your goals are. 
Um, if you take a notes, you might want to you might want to write this down: the sleep factor. And that is, if you're losing sleep over it, I don't care what kind of a return you can get on it. Okay, then then it's not worth losing sleep over. Solomon says, steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. And if, if someone's telling you that something you know, sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so, uh, now I will tell you this. I have a property portfolio. I shared with you earlier. I literally just refinanced uh, a mortgage <clears throat> that I had totally paid off. And, and I got it at 1.89%. <clears throat> I think the monthly payment is 300 a month. The rent is 12.50 a month. Okay, the yield on that is about 10 percent. So you tell me, am I am I am I good to go borrow money at 2 percent and get 10 percent? I think so. Okay, but I think that it really does boil down to your to your temperance and your level of risk and just. You've heard the expression, look before you leap. Just make sure, measure twice, cut once. You might even want to measure two or three times. And, you know, seek counsel. What Solomon said in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And so talk to people that have done well in the property business, that know what they're doing. But for me, um, and I also have some other properties that I have paid for. I don't even have mortgages. All right. And someone could say, I know, but you could go borrow more money and leverage yourself heavier. Well, I just I'm, I, I like low risk. OK, I'd rather sleep at night. I'd rather have a smaller portfolio and have it cash flowing than have a huge. I know people that have huge portfolio. I, I have a friend of mine has 200 properties and every single one of them have a mortgage on it. I'd be I'd be, I'd be losing sleep over that. OK, I just I mean, it'd be be too much to handle for me. Now, that's it's right for him and he handles it fine. But I, I just like things a little bit more manageable, and you just have to know what your risk tolerance is. Yeah. Great, thanks. <clears throat> uh, here's another question. Should you pay debts before you start to save? Well, let me give you an example, because I, I, in fact, the example is mine, and I asked this question 36 years ago. I was 24 years old. I was paying out 18 to 24% interest on credit cards. I had no money in savings, okay? Um, we were paying our bills, but we, you know, we were just kind of, you know, we, we were surviving. I, w- I, wasn't, I wasn't behind on payments. By the way, I was a tither. I did really good with the 10%. I was just stupid at the other 90%, okay? Just didn't have a clue. And, and so, so the guy that was my mentor, <clears throat> when I sat down and did one of these financial plans, I said, well, doesn't it make sense? Because even back then, you could get like 6% interest at the bank, and I said, well, it doesn't make any sense to put money at 6% when I'm spending 18%. He said, that's true, but you're not in the habit of saving. So he said, here's what I would suggest to you. Put 25 a month into a savings account, where I know you're not going to make much money right now, and another 25 a month into one of these investment funds, like in an, you could do it inside an ISA investment fund. Now you're at least in the habit of saving so that as your debt starts to come down and your monthly payments start to come down, now you start to increase your savings. And also, there, it is, guys, there's some encouragement when you start getting those statements and you go, yeah, I'm saving a little bit of money. I'm not, getting, I'm not rich, 
but at least now I've got 300 quid, 500 quid, 1,000 quid in there, and it really motivates you to kind of keep, keep paying your debt off. I know money-wise, percentage-wise, it doesn't make any sense, but it's getting into the, I mentioned on the video, it's your daily habits that really determine your future. So my suggestion to people would be, I, I, I started saving a little bit of money, and then as my debt went down, I started saving more, but it got me into the, into the daily habit. Should you pay debt before you tithe? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer, I'm going to give two answers. First of all, <clears throat> who got you in debt? I mean, you know, I hear people all the time say, God told me this and God told me that. I doubt that you were in a store and, and the Holy Spirit said, Charge! Um, you know, get your master. So, you know, the fact is, is that we get ourselves in messes. Okay. Um, all, all that I know is this, is that tithing is a biblical principle. A lot of people, you know, please get, get my book, True Riches. Okay. And, and I cover in there, it's not, it wasn't something that was just under the Mosaic law. In fact, it was 400 years before the Mosaic law. And, and the principle is, is a, is part of God's character. I, I would never take money from God to pay something else. I mean, here's another question. Should I buy my food before I tithe? So here's, you know, people say, I'm a person of faith. Are you really? Well, can you trust God with your money? Because really, when, when you're tithing, what you're really doing is you're saying, okay, God, I'm not quite sure how 90% goes further than 100%. That, that doesn't make any sense. But I believe you, and I believe that, you know, the, the, the word El Shaddai, you've, you've heard the word El Shaddai, you know what it means? The God that's more than enough. It's El Shaddai, not El Chipo, okay? <laughs> and, and God will provide. Now, I also, want to, I also want to answer this. I've seen where people have come into church, especially new believers, and they're in such a mess because they're, 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 they've come in and they're making $1,500 a month, but their outgoings are $1,800 a month. And they go, I, I can't. And, and honestly, on paper, it makes no sense to tithe. So here's what I say to them. And I got this from, you know, Bill Hybels. Got this from Bill Hybels. This is a tough one. I said, okay. Can you, uh, can, can you come to church and put a pound in every week? Well, yeah, I could do that. Okay, why don't you do that? And let's get a plan to start getting you out of debt, and let's get you to 1%. And as your debt starts coming down, let's take you to 2% and 3%, and let's skate towards getting to 10%. See, tithing is, is not even, guys, tithing's not about the money, it's about the condition of your heart. Yeah, yeah. And so, so don't feel guilt. I mean, listen, if, if you're in a mess, maybe, maybe what you need to do, guys, is, is God wants to turn your mess into a message. And God wants you to be able to encourage other people so that they can get out of debt. And there is a way to get out of debt. First thing you need is you need a written plan, okay? And there's groups like Christians Against Poverty, we have, a, we have a, our, on our program, we have an electronic program, a computer program, show you how to get out of debt, okay? All kinds of places. How, how many of you in here are pretty good with money? Pretty good with money. Would you raise your hand up high? Okay, look around the room there, guys. Why don't you get rid of your ego if you're one of those that aren't good with money and sit down with one of these people and say, can you help me? 
I mean, the resources are right here in the church. We also have a course that you guys are, are going to be introducing here. I think, yeah. is it? Financial free. Yeah, the small groups. Yeah, small at groups. May, yeah. yeah, at the end of May. Okay, two incredible instructors that are doing it. I'm one of them, okay? And, uh, and it's on video and it's in small groups, guys, and it'll teach you the practical and the biblical part. Get into one of those small groups, okay? And become coachable to that. But there is a way to get out of debt. Um, but I, I can tell you this, that even when I was in debt, I was still a tither because I knew, I knew that I wanted to honor God and it, was, it always amazed me how that, that God just kind of made, you know, just sort of, how else can you get breakthrough? You know, I don't see in the book of Malachi where, 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 where the Lord said through Malachi, you know, pay your MasterCard and I'll pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. Okay. <laughs> it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse yeah. and I'll, I'll pour you out a blessing that you, you can't even explain. You just can't contain it. Great. Thanks. Can I take, uh, can or should I take my pension money and move it into an investment fund? Is this wise? Hmm. Well, I, I think this is a big one. This is, is, is a big, uh, it depends, okay? It depends on what your risk tolerance is. You really need to speak with a pension specialist. Uh, it depends on how much that you have, how much other money that you have. Uh, we actually have a guy on staff. Uh, that, that is a specialist in the area of pensions. That's all that he does. And he shows, and, and, he, and he, you know, they put people into bond portfolios that are more secure than a stock portfolio. But it, it really, really depends on what it is. You know, it used to be under the old pension laws that you had, you had to annuitize it. Does everybody know what I mean by annuitize? In other words, let's say you have a lump sum, you were allowed to take out 25%. The other 75%, you had to convert it over to a monthly income. And if you died, the insurance company kept the rest of the money. It was a ripoff, total ripoff. Okay. Fortunately, now they've actually changed those rules. I think they changed under, under Cameron, um, which, which was a great change in that you don't have to tie it up into an annuity or that it's a monthly thing. And, and if you die, then, then your family doesn't get, you know, get the rest of it. So there's, I think it really depends. I mean, you know, you can put it into property, you can put it into the stock market, but it really depends on what your risk tolerance is and sit down with somebody that can give you good counsel and just be, and be very, very careful because, you know, let's face it, you know, when you're 25 and you make a mistake, you blow, you know, you, you blow 20 grand or 50 grand or whatever it is. I mean, it's not any fun, it stings, but you got another 25, 30, 40 years to make up for it. You're 65 and you get ripped off by someone. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but this isn't a dress rehearsal, okay? You're not coming back again. And so you really need to make sure that you get wise counsel on making sure that, you, you know, that, that you're making the right decision with that pension money. Just linked with pensions still. Um, obviously, you mentioned earlier that if, if you're 18 years old, you start paying 50 pounds a month, it accumulates over the, your working life. Mm. But if you're in your, say, 30s and then into your 40s and you haven't got a pension and then you, you think, well, I need to start one, how hard is that then to end up having enough in your pension so that when you do retire, you can actually live on that? Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to sell you the book on the financial freedom one, but in, in there, in fact, in both of the books, we talk about that anybody, anybody, okay, if you were to save 10% of your income over 
a 20-year period and put it in the right investment vehicle, you'd be financially independent. Let me give you that formula. 20 years, 10% of your gross income. Now, it needs to get, if it's going into a bank account at not point one, that's financial freedom is not going to happen, okay? But if it's going into an investment fund, and then you build up an investment fund. Now you got enough of a, for a deposit on a property. You pull the money out, buy a property, okay? Kind of keep doing that. You can become financially independent. So certainly you can do it over 20 years. Now, I've had people come to our seminars that are my age. I'm 61 now, and, and they didn't have a heck of a lot of money. So what they had to do is they had to do an accelerated game plan, and they had to get into a business Make, make a bunch of money, be smarter, be wiser with their money, maybe leverage. Um, hope Neil and Winter don't mind me mentioning this, but how many years ago did you guys go to your property seminar? It wasn't even with us. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. And they, they started, you know, they, they remortgaged. Hope you're, you're okay with me saying this. They remortgaged their house. They started buying property portfolio. And now, you know, I mean, 10 years later, you know, they look back and they go, man, you know, we made the right decision. So it doesn't have to be 20 years, but if you don't have 20 years, you're going to probably have to give an accelerated, something accelerated to be able to do that. Okay. So you and Jane are in good shape because you're only like, what, 28 or 29 now or something like that? 25. 25, yeah. But we've been married 31 years. been married 31 years, yeah. They got married when they were 12, you know, so... Eight actually when we got married. Um, Come back to that one. uh, Where would you prioritise student loan payments uh, as they are only a percentage of your income above a certain level, and they get cancelled after twenty years? What would you? What's your approach to that? Yeah, I mean the interest rate's pretty low on them, and then of course you have to hit a certain threshold of income before you even have to start paying them off. Um, so I, I think it would just, yeah, it would depend on, on what your income level is. Um, I would probably be more focused on building a portfolio than I would be about paying the student loan off. Um, cause you know what, if you go, you go build a portfolio and all of a sudden you build some properties and the properties are paying you a monthly income, that monthly income now is enough money to service the debt on the, on the student loan. Does that make sense? Okay, if somebody uh, has a business and they have employees and staff, uh, how do you or can you help to put the principles that we're talking about now or principles that we might live by as Christians, how would you and would you um, invest those kind of principles in the staff mm. of your business? Yeah, in fact, one of the there's an article in the back, I don't know if, how many of you picked it up, it was in the London Business Journal where we actually do um, we actually do do seminars free. We do them for free. Just like this, we actually come into businesses and we'll do seminars like at a lunch lunchtime, you know, one or two hours. And I gotta tell you, it is a great, great company benefit. You know, when you think about it, you know, you buy them a, a lunch and give them a one or two hour break and we come into a financial education form and really teach them those principles. Um, and you know what's amazing, guys, is all the success principles. You know, how many of you ever heard the name Zig Ziglar? Jim Rowan, okay? Um, Anthony, Anthony Robbins. How many of you, I, I, mean, I mean, guys, all of these names, Brian Tracy, all of these self-improvement gurus, honestly, all their material is all a ripoff from the Bible. It really is. I mean, it's all a ripoff from the Bible, okay? All these principles that they teach, 
are all in the scriptures. You know, the best business book I've ever read? Proverbs. It is. The best business book I've ever read is Proverbs. It tells you how to run a business. So absolutely, you know, you can teach these principles. And what's amazing about these principles is these are godly principles. But let me say this to you. These are work for godly people or ungodly people. They, they do. They work for them. You know, what was it that David said? David said, I was, I was so upset because I saw the house, of, the house of the wicked, how that they prospered. Okay. So these principles, you know, I got to tell you something. I, I meet more wealthy non-believers than I do wealthy believers. Okay. Not saying that, not, you know, not, and I also know a lot of wealthy believers, so if they could just get this principle in their life for the rest of their life, can you imagine how much good that they could do, you know? Great. Uh, another question. I have shares in a managed fund. The IFA who set it up and keeps an eye on it meets me each year uh, to, to give me an update on the situation and to, to advise any changes that need to be made. There's a monthly percentage fee which he gets regardless, which I'd rather not pay or pay less... <laughs> Uh, are these rates preset, set in stone? What's the... Mm. Well, most, most IFAs, independent financial advisors, get paid a... Um, typically, it's like a management fee. It might be a quarter of a percent, a half a percent, or whatever. Um, or they may have a regular fee that they charge you per year. I mean, most of the IFAs that I know, uh, for them to sit down and talk with you, it's 150 quid an hour. If you're talking two hours, it's three to 500 pounds. Um, a good, and again, this is just my opinion, a good IFA, in my opinion, is well worth the money. Uh, the problem is most people are not going to, most people probably don't have an extra 500 to 1,000 pounds to spend, and that's why that I like the idea of getting the education yourself. In addition to that, many times when you're, how many of you have ever sat down with someone and talked to them about money or finances or whatever. And while they're talking, you're kind of going, I don't, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. In fact, some of y'all might have been like that here tonight when I was going through all this stuff. And, and I think that if I could encourage all of you, you know, the, the, there's a scripture that says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I really, I really mean this. Don't buy anything that you don't understand. Honestly, guys, if people say, just trust me. I'm telling you guys, you're getting ready to get it ripped off, okay? Question everything. And that's the reason that I love what we do is because we say to people, don't buy anything until you understand it. A wise man gets all the facts before he makes a decision. Yeah. Solomon said that. So I would say that, that no, you know, again, just from the little that I know here, I don't know the IFA, but a good IFA, guys, if, and whoever wrote the question, congratulations that you're, that you're doing that because maybe 1% of the population have an IFA, okay? Um, so, I, I, you know, maybe sit down and have someone else look at it. Just kind of like going to the doctor and getting a second opinion. But more than likely, you know, the guy's probably doing a great job for you. And if you're happy with him and the returns are good, you know, you can have up years and down years. That's just the market. I mean, he doesn't control that. But if you're happy with him, you know, hey, he's, he's got to put food on his table just like everybody else. And, um, you know, it's a profession that they have to make a living at. And it's, you know, whatever the fee is. I mean, I, I don't know what the fees are. So you might want to check with another IFA and see what their fees are and just compare. But more than likely, I mean, he's, 
you know, if he's a reputable guy, which 99% of them are, um, he's probably a good guy. Great. Is there a minimum age for an investment account? There's not. Um, now, for you to actually contribute to it, um, you know, you would, you would need to be like 18 years old, but you certainly could get it set up. Um, you know, a parent could set it up for their child, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, what's interesting is here, here's an interesting number, and you'll see this in the book, uh, in the, your journey to financial freedom. If you were age zero and your grandparents, or let's say your great-grandparents had put a thousand pounds in an account, in an investment fund that yielded 12%, and there are many of these funds that have done that over the last 50 years. By the time you retire, the account is worth 1.2 million pounds. No additional money, just 1,000. Because the 1,000 doubles every six years and it continues to compound, okay? Just out of curiosity, how many of you know the name of your great-grandparents? Okay, a few of you. How many of you would definitely know your name of your great-grandparents if they had set up that account for you? (laughs) (laughs) So again, this, this is a way that you can change future legacy, okay, is, you know, every time a child is born, set up one of these accounts. And, um, you know, we actually have a course that part of our program is we have a course that people can can take and they can actually learn about investing and then they can, you know, go online and do the investing. But, you know, guys, this this is not rocket science. It's really not. It's not understanding investment funds, um, you know, is is, is really not rocket science. You just have to spend the time to, to get the education by sitting down with someone like us or doing the research on your own. Okay. Yeah, somebody's asking, how do you, how do you set one up? So get some advice, basically, in investment funds. Yeah, and, and the problem, I'll tell you what the problem is, um, without going into too much detail about the industry, but about um, what, what year was RDR? Do you remember? Was that 2000, 2005? Yeah, 2005. Or was it 2015? 15, yeah, okay, it's about five years ago. The, the government came out with this rule that says that financial advisors could no longer receive a commission on investments. Okay, they have to charge a fee. So we used to, we used to have our own investment firm, and, and we charged typically would be, let's say, about 3%. So someone invested 50 pounds a month, it cost them a pound, one pound 50 a month, 18 quid a year. Okay, so as soon as they eliminated that, we said, well, what's the sense in us being in business? I mean, it's kind of stupid. We're not going to charge people 150 quid. So now, for the same investment, it's going to cost you 300 pounds to get advice from an IFA. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So the little guy has typically now, for the last five years, not been investing. And it's so interesting in, in the industry now, the FCA is going, we can't figure out why people aren't investing now. Well, stupid, it's because of the law that you made five years ago, Okay. So, so that's the problem is that, that the, the barrier to entry is that people don't know. And so we have a course that people can take online. Um, there, there's a cost for it. It's not, not that much. I think it's 99 quid. And, uh, and then as soon as they pass that, there's, there's sort of a, 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 what do we want to call it, a, a portal that opens up and they can put in as little as 25 pounds in it. There's a questionnaire and it tells them what funds that they recommend, you know, but it's all, it's what we call robo-advice. And, but there's no commissions paid on it because of this new, 
this law that they came up with, you know, these geniuses. It's amazing all these politicians, you know, they never had a real job in their lives, you know. And they make all these goofy laws. Sorry if you're a politician, okay, by the way. So. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, here's one. How do I get my family on board with this? I, the person said, I'm, I'm really up for this envision for it. But have you any suggestions to how do I communicate this to the rest of my family mm. so that we, so they're doing it together rather yeah. than just, yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, when you have conflict. Typically, in a marriage, especially, you have you have you have a saver and a spender, and and there's this conflict. Um, Margot and I, fortunately, are both both savers, you know, um, and she's not a real materialistic person, and so we don't, you know, I mean, you know, we we agree on stuff, but we talk it through, especially once we got the education on this. And so I, I would say one of the best things to do, uh, especially if you're part, and even if you're not, I, I probably should ask this question before I answer this. Um, if someone is not part of Kingdom Faith, would they be able to go through the course that you guys are going to run in May? That'd be okay if they joined a connect group? or Yeah, probably. Even, even I think just if you're part of another church, just check with your own church first that they're yeah. happy with that. Yeah, yeah. But there's a course that they're going to run here for 12 weeks. Um, that, and, and, and I mean, you, know, you can go online and purchase it also, financial freedom course, but why not run your entire family through the course? So especially if you're in a connect group, have like this gentleman here that has, has his 17-year-old daughter here, okay? I mean, that is so smart because all of a sudden now she's going to want some pocket money and, and dad's going to say, hey, honey, remember that seminar that we went to? I mean, I can give you some pocket money or would you like to put it into your investment fund because it's going to grow and this 50 quid could turn into 10,000 and all of a sudden she's going to go, I don't really want that makeup anymore, okay? I think, I think I'd rather have this. And, and even if she does want it, at least she's making an intelligent decision. That, by the way, guys, is another reason why that Jewish people prosper disproportionately to other groups of people because they teach these kids these principles. Okay? Okay. Uh, Somebody's saying, that obviously, you gave your testimony earlier on the video and was really moved by hearing about the, the tough start that you had in life. Can you explain a little bit more how you managed to overcome all the hardship and had the determination to succeed in life against all odds? without just saying that it was through the grace of God, obviously that is key. But in addition to that, what was the process and the mindset that you had, you know, changed or you went through to... to yeah. <clears throat> sure. Well, the first thing is, is that it was, I mean, it definitely was coming to faith, okay? Um, coming to a church like this, um, a guy led me to the Lord, you know, I'd never been to church in my life, had been in, you know, raised in a Jewish family, got saved, radically saved. Um, and this young guy, Michael, uh, he was 21, I was 15, he took me and became my foster father. And the pastor became my co-guardian. And these two men, I began to submit myself to them. And here's what I said to them. I said, listen, I'm ready to change. Okay, I, I want to be coachable. Will you guys help me to grow into the person that I really want to be? 
And so I, I, I began to get involved in the church. I began to get involved in, in a connect group. Um, I began to get involved in a youth group. Um, I buckled down at school. I started doing well in my studies. Um, and I just got serious about life. I want to tell you the other thing I did. I got my nose in my Bible. Um, I used to study, you know, at, at least three, four hours a week in the scriptures. Um, I started wanting to understand how God thinks. You know, I, I figured out that I screwed up my life and that if I started doing things God's ways, not my ways, that my life would begin to get on track. And so that would be the biggest thing. In addition to that, I started reading some books that my pastor and my foster father gave me. I'm going to give you a couple of those books right now. One was called How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you here have ever read the book? Okay. And he gave that to me when I was 15 years old. The reason he did is because I, I, I think I, I was great at how to lose friends and how to not make friends. I mean, just I had a chip on both shoulders, okay, as you can imagine. And here's what, here's what, here's what I learned, not only in business, but in, in my early teenage years, and that is this. If you can become a good people person, and if people like you and trust you, Guys, I'm just telling you that the world's your oyster. It really is. Okay? In addition to that, I began to understand from being in church through God's grace that my history did not have to become my destiny. So you can either look at your life and have a pity party or you can look at your life and say, that's the reason why I'm going to succeed because I'm so tough. Fifteen years ago, I moved here to the UK. I didn't know anybody and within 18 months, I had over 1,000 people working for me here that I recruited from scratch. People say, wasn't that tough? I said, nope. Living on the streets was tough, okay? <laughs> so so I, I began to develop this attitude. Also, my pastor gave me another book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Anybody here ever read that book? Okay. The reason he gave me that is because I had the power of stinking thinking, not the power of positive thinking. Okay. And here's what I learned is that when you program, see, I was so used to being programmed, Clive. I remember my relatives saying to me, Jeff, you'll never amount to a hill of beans. Do you know you keep telling people that eventually they're going to start believing that versus I've seen other parents that say, listen, I know you messed up, but I believe in you and you've got greatness inside of you. And all of a sudden I was in this community and my pastor, my foster father, my teachers around me, okay? And I began to, to do some self-affirmation through the scriptures. I began to believe I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. So I began to, to adopt this idea that somehow, see, I, I, had this, I had this messed up thinking because my father committed suicide, so I felt very abandoned. And all of a sudden I said, okay, God, you're my daddy now. Jesus is my brother, and I've accepted him in my life, so that means you're my daddy too. And God, I need your help. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and I hope you all write this down, work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. And when you go with the mix, okay, because there are some things that God won't do for you. You have to do them. I don't know about you, but God didn't wake me up this morning and brush my teeth. Okay, that, God wanted me to do that. 
And so, so I just adopted this attitude that God loved me. He was like my dad. And even though my natural father on earth abandoned me, that he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's brilliant. And obviously, just as we, that's the, that was the last question, but coming to a close, is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of round the evening off. Absolutely. You mind if I stand here sure. and uh, offer that soft chair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Can we give uh, Pastor Clive and Jane uh, another hand? And thank you guys for, for having us. And um, as, as we wrap this up, let me just say this to you. First of all, thank you all so much for coming out tonight and really taking time out of your busy schedule. And it's been my honor. Um, I, I, I speak all over the world, and I'm not just telling you this uh, to make these guys feel special. But this is the only church that I've actually scheduled this year, okay? I do not come back three times. I don't come back on a Sunday and then the next Saturday and then on a Wednesday night. I mean, I just don't do it, okay? And when I met this couple, I just felt, I just felt the Holy Spirit just say to me, you go there and you serve their ministry, Okay? Now, I do work with my local church in London with Hillsong, and I'm, I'm very focused on, I've got a crazy schedule, crazy, you know, schedule with, with our business. We have over 15,000 associates across the country. We have 29 offices. So it's not like I needed something to do, okay? Um, I have to be in our office early in the morning in, in Surrey. I think at, you know, half seven, we've got some meetings going on. So I've got, a, I've got a really busy schedule. So the first thing I'd like to ask you to do is, is to, to keep me in your prayers, okay? We've got, um, I mean, literally, I was, I was sharing with Pastor Clive at dinner this evening, literally in the last 12 months, our business has quadrupled. I mean, it's just been, it's just been, the only thing I can tell you is it's been supernatural. It really has. It's been, we, we've got some wonderful people, but it's just been God super on top of our natural. But the last thing I want to share with you is that you know, we've been talking here about investing in financial freedom. And over the last couple of weeks that I've been speaking here, we talk, we have kind of this, this circle that, that, that we talk about. Um, I don't know if the guys, I should have asked you to put that up, but do you have that from a couple of weeks ago? Um, do you remember that? Uh, it was on a Sunday two, two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have the circle with the four areas. Do you have that? No, you don't have it, okay? But, you know, basically all of our lives we have to deal with typically four major things. <clears throat> our finances are a huge part. Would you all agree with that? I mean, boy, it just, I mean, it affects all of our lives. Our health. I don't know about you guys. I, I'd rather be healthy and poor than sick and rich. Now, I, I get to, I'd, I'd rather be healthy and rich too, okay? <laughs> but, but being in bad health is just miserable. And then when it comes to the area of relationships, I mean, I got to tell you, my wife and I am so blessed. I've been married to the same woman for 42 years. We were high school sweethearts at 15 years old. Okay? I mean, I found the love of my life and I'm still in love with her. I mean, we still do fun things together. I just, I, I hug her every day. I tell her, I say, honey, I'm so lucky to be married to you. Thank you for marrying me. Thank you for, for accepting me through all my faults, you know. And I, I'm not sure there was another woman on the earth that could have handled me, okay? <laughs> and, and yet I have friends of mine that are wealthy that are on their fifth marriage. And their kids hate them. 
because they haven't spent time with them. I mean, guys, that, that's not success. And, and then finally, there's, there's your spiritual life. And here's what I have found out about being a believer over the last 46 years is this, is that God wants to bless you in every single area of your life. He is a good God. He's not looking down judgmental on you and going, you're bad. Let me tell you something, okay? All of us in this room, we've all done bad stuff. Okay? Every single one of us. And God loves us whether we're serving him or whether we're not serving him. God loves us whether you're a tither or whether you're not a tither. But God would prefer that we walk in this, in this divine in this divine circle that God has for us. And, and because of our rebellious nature, we, we step out of it because we want to do things our way. And, and typically, uh, the, the, the majority of the things that we want to do are typically probably not godly, okay? And so here tonight, you know, there, there's a scripture that, here's what Jesus said. He said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul. He wasn't saying it was bad to, to, to gain the whole world. He just said, if that's all that you have, what a shallow life. I have shown thousands and thousands of people how to become financially independent, how to build a property portfolio, how to get out of debt, and that's all good. But I've also led thousands of people to the Lord. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because all of that, I promise you all, when you're on your deathbed, and it's going to happen to all of you someday, including me, Okay? When you're on your deathbed, I doubt that you're going to look at your loved ones and go, should have made more money. <laughs> you're probably going to say, should have spent more time with my loved ones. Boy, I wish I had had my relationship right with the Lord and done those things. Could I get all of you to just sort of bow your head and close your eyes and here before I leave, because I got to tell you, this is the most important decision in my opinion, that you'll ever make. It's not just financial freedom. It's called freedom and spiritual freedom. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your heart and in your life. And I know this may seem a little weird to do this at a financial freedom seminar, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm all about people's whole lives getting blessed, not just their financial lives. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your heart. And here might even seem kind of a weird place to do it, okay, at a financial seminar. Or maybe at one time you did accept him, but somehow you got out of that circle and you, you went and chased other things and the cares of the world and things just got in your way. And tonight you'd like to just come back in the center to where God is standing there. He's saying, son, daughter, I want you. I love you just like you are. And if that's you tonight, could you just lift up your hands while... Well, everybody is here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for not being ashamed and for being bold. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Tell you what, why don't we all just pray this prayer here together because maybe you're one of those people that you just say, I just, I just don't want to raise my hand here, but can we all just say this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart tonight and to be the Lord of my life. In my spiritual life, in my financial life, in my relationships, and in my health. I ask you to become the Lord of my life, to become the driver of my life, 
and the center of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give those people a big hand. God bless you guys. Thank you all so much. It's been so good to be here with you. And Pastor Clive, I'll turn it back over to you. Great. Come on, let's thank Jeff, shall we, for uh, tonight.